0: Welcome, folks, to GSO in the Know. My name is Terrell. I am your host. And today we have a great episode for you. We have an interview with Celeste Cornelius, uh, field organizer from Carolina Federation, who has been working here in Guilford County, helping us win some of our local races. And we talked about in the importance of vo- voting in a local elections and how that'll help shape the work being done in our communities to better the lives of everyday citizens. We also touch on key demographics in these elections on the local level, and it might not be who you think it is, and the importance of checking your loved ones when it comes to progressive issues. So I am joined with M- Emily Record. How are you doing, Emily?
1: I'm doing good. How about yourself?
0: Good, Emily. If for people who don't know has just moved across the country. She is now a Californian temporarily, temporarily. Okay. <laughs> yes, but she has love- she has graced us with her presence because she is still all about that work. Love to have you back with us.
1: Glad to be here. And Terrell, you have been doing pole monitoring, correct?
0: I did. I had a interesting experience. That makes it sound a lot more exciting than what it is. It actually (laughs) was very quiet. Um, I had one lady tell me that if I wanted to vote for a Democrat, I moved to Russia, which was interesting because I then ended up helping her later. And she was, she was all about me. She loved me. So
1: how did you help her? Like, what did that? Because I thought you just were sort of there to like, I thought you weren't really supposed to interact with the voters.
0: If they have questions, I can. So this person had questions about, like, um, drive-through voting or curbside voting and trying to figure out where that was because she just couldn't stand for long periods of time. It wasn't, like, a super long line, but, like, someone suggested it to her, and then I just kind of helped her to where they could do it, and she just was all waves as they drove by with all their Trump stickers on the car but like <laughs> i i mean I, I i was doing it with nc democrats but i operate nonpartisan, so i was happy to help her even if she's like voting for the opposition fine at least you got to do your uh civic duty but no it was nice uh i i was mostly in affluent white neighborhoods so like nobody's coming out there to cause a wrestling ruckus but um it was nice to have a couple conversations, help a few people with any information they needed and just be a part of the process.
1: And was there a
0: Republican observer there as well? I th- So there was one on the inside. We've gotten a lot of reports um, in North Carolina specifically about like voter intimidation from Republicans. Um, luckily I haven't run into that. Like, I mean, they have these folks here for sure, but they're really looking not to help people, but definitely it feels like, I don't know. They're looking for somewhere to like interject. It was really weird. Like my vibe, I felt like I was very chill. I had a chair, had like a nice little sweater on. I'm like, yes, here I am for your questions. And she was just kind of like peeking around a bush, like literally peeking around the bush, like looking at lines and stuff. I'm like, all right, lady. But yeah, they're out. This is the first year and like they're really out in numbers like this. So that, that lets us know that we're, we're doing something right.
1: True. Well, I, w- I voted the first day early and it took three hours and there was I didn't see any democratic poll observer, but I saw a Republican one and he was just sitting in a corner in the polling place with a little notebook. Um, and he was just sort of sitting there. He wasn't doing anything at all. It was, it was weird. It didn't, it wasn't intimidating at all because he was like literally in a corner, like in timeout almost. Um, but I was just like, Oh wow, there's a, an observer. So then I was like, Oh, I wonder if that's what Terrell's doing.
0: Yeah. But only the outside, uh, I did get stories from one of the, like, I can never remember what you call them, but the person that heads the polling place about a guy who was like has a condition where he couldn't wear a mask and they had to, like, let him work. So that was not a joy for a lot of them because they're all older. Like, a lot of people or a lot of polling places that, like, they were telling me they weren't properly staffed because a lot of people were pulling out because of their age, but still everyone that was inside was older. So like that was really concerning to hear that there's still like coronavirus is a hoax, even though our president got it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I was going to
1: look into signing up to be a volunteer before I um, had the opportunity to move. So I'm not, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it's cool. It's I, I am plugging this for next year. I'm sure it's too late to sign up. And if it's not, go check it out. But yeah, everyone, uh, young, old, go look into being a poll observer. Because this work actually means a lot. And I think they're going to be helping with potentially counting some of the mail-in ballots I've heard. Um, we're going to be needing a, a lot of hands for that as well. So that might be a project to look into as well for our listeners. But I want us to get into the meat and potatoes of this conversation. Me and Celeste, funny enough, me and Celeste actually worked together. When I originally uh, went to reach out to her, though, I was just a volunteer with Carolina Federation. But, you know, as crunch time came and they just needed more hands on deck, I was lucky enough to get hired. So now we're working together. And that shows we definitely... <laughs> get a bit of rambles in on our conversation but we do have a good time talking about some of our local races some of the issues that we see in our day-to-day lives and how this election can really shape how we start to address them and give us the ability to actually start addressing them so um let's get into it Celeste Cornelius, a political consultant, and I'm born and bred Greensburlyan, Greensburlyanite. We're still trying to figure that out. Uh, welcome, Celeste Cornelius. I always like saying your name, it sounds like royalty.
2: Thank you. That's why I don't want to change it ever. <laughs>
0: How, how are you? We were talking earlier about our uh, intro to Get Out the Vote. When uh, We're recording this right around the time that we're doing a lot of Get Out to Vote work. And it's very draining, I'm learning.
2: Honestly, GOTV is always extremely draining. But this is something different. Like, I don't know if it's just like COVID and 2020 all together with GOTV. But I've never been this tired from GOTV. And I usually knock doors. I don't know. It might just be the season of all of this.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like it's all of us just ready for this this moment that we're living in to be over and just trying to get to that next field post that'll help us get closer and closer to the end. November third? November third.
2: Like, when or when? When or when I'm going today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amen. I'm going to the mountains. Don't bother me until like January. Whenever there's inauguration, don't don't text me.
2: You can call me January 21st.
0: There you go. <laughs> but we we are we. You see, we have a lovely rapport. But uh, Celeste, I want to get into some of the questions with you, and I want to get to I want our audience to know you. I know you so well already. Can you tell me a bit about yourself and the work you do in your community?
2: So right now, I am born and raised in Greensboro. I swore I was going to leave for college. I ended up at the greatest HBCU in the land, North Carolina A&T. I got a total of 10 minutes from my house. Yes, maybe 15 if traffic's moving slow. From there, I met Derek Smith, who was extremely instrumental in getting me into community organizing because I always thought about world issues in a very... Worldview scale, not realizing that they happen in my community, and I will be upfront and honest. I was raised not super privileged, but I was raised to access to a lot of opportunities and a lot of experiences that most people do not have in life. So I'm not gonna say I was sheltered. I was gonna say it didn't apply to me, so I didn't pay attention to it. And then going A and realized like our homeless population going in downtown at night, so many homeless people. A lot of the veterans and a lot of them missed one paycheck and their life fell apart. Um, Definitely realizing that Guilford County has a lot of food, as there's a lot of people who don't have access to healthy food, nutritious food at a fair price. Going out there, seeing houseless people who have a home that's not necessarily theirs. So going into my community and seeing all these issues is what made me realize that people need help, but especially black people need help. Because they're in a system that constantly fights against them, yet they're trying to make it with everything that they have, and they need somebody to be their advocate, be their voice, and stand up for them when necessary.
0: Yeah, that's free. that is real. We're this in this time where we're seeing a lot of people starting to come become aware of the systematic oppression that um, Black and Brown folks are being um, uh, subjected to a lot across the nation. That is a really good point to make about, you know, food deserts and homelessness and houselessness. Can you speak to, like, the difference between those two? So homeless is just not
2: having a place to stay at all. Like, people who would live out of their cars, people who live on the streets, that's homelessness. Houselessness is you have somewhere to go lay your head, but it's not yours. So when you're houseless, houselessness and homelessness are synonymous But two separate views, like houseless and homeless, you still don't have a place to call that's your own, but houselessness is like people who move hotel to hotel, people who move from uh, relative to relative. Like I'm going to stay at my aunt this week and my uncle this week and my kids are constantly having a shuffle around. We don't have a place to call our own, but no, we're not without a roof over our head. Homelessness is exactly what it is. Like I sleep on the street. I might be sleeping in my car like, I have to go homeless shelter to homeless shelter. Did that explain it well enough?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a good uh, uh, example. I didn't really... I never really think about those. I feel like a lot of folks don't think about those different differences, even though they're slight. It's still kind of in that same situation.
2: House people can't get jobs either because they don't have a steady address.
0: Yeah, another issue, like... Just get swept under the rug. That's I'm glad that that's kind of like driving you, and hopefully we can really make some change with some of these races that we're promoting. Um, I, I wanted to ask, how did you get involved with organizing and the work you're currently doing with the Carolina Federation? So,
2: and he was split in half. We had the sixth congressional district and the 13th congressional district that went right through campus. And that was kind of my introduction to organizing, like going to protest rallies, um, going to the General Assembly, uh, meeting congressional candidates like um, Mark Walker. He was good to be seen on a campus, even though he didn't really mingle with the black folks like that. You know, that's just between me, you and the ears listening to this podcast. Um, And then you had the Poor People's Campaign. Um, Professor Smith, I call him Dr. Smith. He has a Ph.D. in civil disobedience. He actually did a lot of work with the Poor People's Campaign. He worked with them. He has some official position that I don't know the title to. And they came on campus. And I spoke at an event about how, and he was in a food desert. Um, we only had one, one grocery store provider, I think within a few miles. And it was Food Line. And they were about a mile down the street. And from that, I heard a man speak about how he was homeless and he wrote a poem and he was like, I'm homeless and it's hard. He was like, you know, going from place to place, not always having a cell phone, not always having clothes to wear, shoes. He was like, I don't have the address to get a job. Once you're homeless, it's hard for you to get back on your feet. And I was just like, wow, that's, that's, yeah, I didn't think about that. And then we were talking about people who I grew up and my mother doesn't cook. She hates when I say it. My mama cooks one day out of the month and puts it all in the freezer, right? So we used to go out to eat all the time. And so I never, it never occurred to me that people didn't have access to nutritious food because Miss Velma, she would just take us to whatever restaurant was the closest and that's what we would eat for dinner. And everybody doesn't have that luxury, the option, like we had the option to not eat nutritious food. But there were four grocery stores within a mile of my house that I took for granted, not realizing that grocery store chains just don't move into every neighborhood. Like there's not an Aldi on every corner. There's not a food line on every corner. There's not a Harris Teeter in any low-income area. So that was my exploring into, yeah, this is something we need to organize around, something people need help in. And I'm definitely like pro-Black people. I want Black people to have the best chance at life. And when our health isn't great, because all we have is corner stores, liquor stores, chicken joints, and gas stations, we don't have the best chance to maximize and optimize our life.
0: Yeah, that is well said. Honestly, <laughs> um, can you say, can you say a bit about the work you're currently doing with the Carolina Federation to kind of help get people engaged with the 2020 election and how that might help us in 2021 and beyond start addressing issues like these food deserts and our homeless and houseless rates.
2: So oh, Guilford County county commissioner race is extremely important. The county commission controls budgets for Guilford County. So all these contracts get negotiated through city council and with county commission to look over the money part. City council can help negotiate places coming to Greensboro. County commission looks at the budget to see if we have the taxes and this, that, and the third to support them. So with that, getting good county commissioners elected, like Mary Beth Murphy, who is all out, like, I will be completely transparent. James Upchurch is running for County Commission District 6. He is my dear friend. Like, love him dearly. Mary Beth Murphy is the best and most progressive candidate in this race. She should honestly not be in the County Commissioner race. She should be in the state representative race. But, hey, you get in where you fit in because her ideas of education, her ideas of accessibility, her ideas of police brutality and understanding truly defund the police is not the right statement. It's more (laughs) reallocate the millions and millions of dollars that we give police to do nothing really but show up after the crime is committed to education because education is a cure for poverty. But nobody wants to talk about that. They hear defund the police from the right and they're like, oh, my gosh, they're taking away the police. No, Mary Beth Murphy has clear understanding of what defund the police is and what it goes back to in education. She's an active member of DCAE, Guilford County Educators Association. Like she she is what it needs to be at the state level. She is the best, most progressive candidate for a state level. She would make an excellent state candidate. She would be a great county commissioner, but she belongs at the state level. James Upchurch, dear friend of mine, he is a county commissioner candidate. He understands books, finances, money, all that great stuff. He is a great county commission candidate for what we need right now, as in helping Greensboro become better. I can't speak to what he believes in because that's not our relationship, but I know that he is great when it comes to numbers. He has a master's in business something. And Carly Cook, she wants a better education system for our children. Like, she is um, a PTA parent. She's supportive of GCAE. She is one of those people who can go in there and kind of be activists for our education system in Guilford County. Help getting that $2 billion school bond approved. All of those candidates will help get that $2 billion school bond approved. They'll help better education system. They'll help us make better budgets. There's no reason that Greensboro has the homeless population that we have, and we're building a new Animal shelter versus building a new homeless shelter. Really? A million dollar animal shelter. I love animals, but they got a shelter that works fine right now.
0: Wow. You said how much money they're spending on that right now?
2: Um, it was 90 plus million dollars.
0: Wow. And we have like record numbers of people sleeping in like LaBauer Park and all these downtown parks. You
2: could go, um, what is it? I forgot the street, but you can walk downtown, like where Hibachi Cafe is,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: just walk up and down that street, and homeless people sleep under the awnings at night, and they have to be gone by six or seven in the morning when the police come around, and when business owners start to get to their businesses, and yeah. you have to get cold outside. People freeze to death.
0: Yeah, I remember at UNTG when I was just being wild and drunk at night, and uh, having a lot of conversations with the homeless people that were outside those bars. But when we, you know, go home to our, um, well, I never left in the dorm, but my apartment at the time, like you'd see these people like just kind of shuffle over to the little awnings or like little doorways on Tate Street of some of the shops. And they just kind of like hunker down and like hope to make it to the morning. So, yeah.
2: Oh, so we're being transparent about what we was doing downtown. I was at Fat Tuesday and I was marching up and down the street between Fat Tuesday and the club And you would just see homeless people out there with their cards. Yeah. Okay. Since we was being transparent, I had to make it sound like, you know, I was out here doing the Lord's work. No, I was drinking.
0: Yeah, no. And that like, that's a, that's a privilege that we have. Like you, you get to interact with these folks, but then at the end of the day, you, you leave that corner. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's what they call home. And that's kind of how they try to survive. So yeah, it sounds like with those three candidates, uh, Carly Cook, Mary Beth Murphy and James Upchurch, if they were to take these com- county commissioner seats, we'd be a, in a good place to start helping folks out like that, Hel- helping out the homeless and the houseless, and starting to address that uh, that food desert issue as well. I
2: think Cooper County has so much money to waste on animal shelters. We could be doing like farmers markets, like low income produce buying days. Like, there's so much we could do.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm curious as like. So like you guys are or we are like endorsing these candidates, trying to get folks more engaged with those races and versus kind of like the national race. Can you talk about the importance of the voting in local elections versus those national elections and how that affects us more um, like in the moment than national decisions?
2: So local and state elections honestly are way more important to you and your money and your dollar than national elections. So it takes six months to a year for local policy to affect your life. It takes a year to two years, maybe 26 months for state policy to come down and affect your life. It could take eight to 10 years for a federal national policy to come back and actually hit you. Usually the only thing that really hits Americans in the gut that passes at the federal government Are the tax codes. And usually those hit the middle class, working class, and the impoverished class before they ever hit the wealthiest people. So the tax codes are what really hit for us as individuals in North Carolina, but Governor Cooper, state legislator, um, your local sheriff, your county commission, your mayors, your um, city councils, their policies will affect you Before anything, the national government probably ever will, because as we've seen with coronavirus, the federal government can pass something and states can pick and choose when and what they want to apply to their state. I mean, there was this whole issue with states' rights versus national rights when America was first founded, and that battle still goes back and forth today.
0: Yeah, you hear that typically on the right like when they're fighting for states' rights and I feel like that's always gotten like a bad kind of moniker behind it because of how they typically use that kind of like slogan in their arguments because it's for some like weird conservative bullshit. Um, but like speaking on that, that, like you said, like it just affects us immediately and it really affects our day-to-day lives more than who sits in that Chair in the White House, so and I was really curious about. I, I saw the video that you had uh, shared recently about the Lieutenant Governor's race. How does that race affect us? Because I'm really, I really want to point that one out. Because what is his name? Mark Robertson, um, a man who does not believe in systematic racism. That is baffling to me. He is a African American male, and he doesn't believe in that. But I. Wanted to point that out to folks who are voting. But I also want to ask you, like, why is that seat so important to this race as well?
2: Honestly, the race is important to me because Mark Robinson is a total nut. Like, honestly, that's what really got me into the race. And also because the Democratic Party, Yvonne Lewis-Holly, get out there and fight for herself when they run five commercials for Roy Cooper every day and seven commercials for Cal Cunningham. But... They're not doing anything for her, and she's actually in a race with an opponent who, who, let's face it, when it comes to social media and marketing, he's kicking her butt. Like, she, her most viewed video on Facebook has, like, a thousand views. His most viewed one has, like, 1.3 million. What? So, Mark Robinson came to fame by going to a um, Guilford County City Council meeting and going off about gun rights. He became the darling of the right when he did that. So he has a base of support. He has a base of money. He is a Republican darling. He got clout. She ain't got none of that. I didn't even know who she was until I was at an event with Erica Smith and she was up there speaking. She's a perfectly wonderful lady. I'm going to vote for her. I already voted. So I did vote for her. But the Democratic Party did not help her out in the way they needed to. And the importance of the lieutenant governorship they are the president of the Senate. So they lead the Senate. They somewhat have control over what bills are going to get voted on, what comes forth. I'm not sure if they have the tie-breaking power that the vice president has in uh, Congress, but they hold an important role when it comes to our legislature. And do you want somebody who wants fair housing to get rid of food deserts to help low-income people, or do you want a big Black man who gets up there and says that systematic racism doesn't exist, knowing that if he charged at a white cop right now, he probably end up with four bullet holes in his chest.
0: That part. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely for Ms. Holly. She, I've already cast my vote as well. And I was happy to circle in that box because she's really smart. And when you sit down and listen to the, the debates they were having that, was surprised it only got 30 minutes, but she's like, most Republicans or Democrats, they go back and forth about each other's record. Like he did this, I did that. She is more like, these are the facts that are affecting people. And this is the things that I want to do. And it's interesting, like you said, to see the Democratic Party, once again, felling black women uh, in the way that they are. I actually was curious if you had any, or you were having any issues like um, contacting certain like demographics or noticing a, a lack of like interaction with certain communities across the county that you think we could be doing better in these last few weeks than reaching out at?
2: I will be honest, when it comes to reaching out to minorities, I'm trying to find a way to say this, because, you know, I can get crunk real quick, and this podcast is going to pop up in 20 years or something. And I want to be able to say what I mean then, say what I mean now and still believe in it then. So reaching out to low-income communities, reaching out to minority income communities, and I just want to make sure it's understood that those two things are not synonymous. Just because you are a minority does not mean you are low income. And just because you are low income does not mean that they're a minority. I just want it to be known. But reaching out to those communities is always top tier. Reaching out to white communities is where we fail. Because I feel like every election, it always falls on Black women. Like, Black women have to come and vote in the 96% margin. And then we need Black men to jump on board and vote blue, too. And then we need young Hispanic men and women to come up. I mean, Latinx, Hispanic, Latinx, I'm not really sure if that's interchangeable. But we're just going to say Latinx and Hispanic men and women to come and Vote in these huge margins for blue and this, that, and the third. What about white people? Like, black people only make up 13.2% of the population in the last census. Half of black men can't vote because they're either incarcerated or a felon. And then, and I know, you know, they can pay the taxes and dues and all that, but most of them ain't got the money for that. Unless Mike Bloomberg wants to come in and drop money to pay off every felon stuff which he is doing. Not a Mike Bloomberg fan in a lot of cases, but he's going in and he's paying these felons things off in Florida so they can vote in the election. So kudos to him for doing one thing right. Okay, on to my next thing. Um, Latinx people, how can you not give them fair immigration policy? Obama had eight years. He ain't get it done. Trump is trying to build a wall, so he obviously doesn't want him here. Don't beg people for their vote, Hispanic and Black people in particular. I mean, you can never create policy that comes down to them because we have this great tendency to reach out to black and brown people and never do anything for them. Latinx people need immigration policy. They need rights in this country, whether they're legal or not. I don't believe that anybody's illegal on stolen land, but that's just me. Black people got brought up here on the slave ship. Many of them are still here. Many of them are still coming. And we can't get maternal mortality bills passed. We can't get police reform. We can't even get civil rights in some cases, back to they were fought for and signed in 1964. Like, we're still fighting for things that we should already have. The Voting Rights Act was just gutted and it protected Black people and now protects Black and brown people. And it's not even doing its job anymore because the Supreme Court took major chunks of it out. Like, stop begging Black and brown people and doing all this outreach to them that works and then not supporting them on the long run when you could reach out to white people who have almost every right that they need in this country to be successful, a lot of them have all the rights they need because white women helped Trump win in 2016. We need to be contacting white women, white men. I know that they lean right, but we need to be contacting the ones that could go left. We always do this big reach out to uh, minorities, black and Brown, Latinx, Hispanic. And we never do enough reaching out in the white communities because The white communities help Republicans get in office as well as Democrats. So I feel like we definitely need to do more when we need to reach out to white women and white men, because I'm not going to sit up here and just say that all white people are conservative when, honestly, most people are moderate. So I feel like if you take the time to have those conversations and you take the time to lean on the people who make up the majority of America right now. We could really do something. I'm sorry that that was such a long winded answer, but you hit a nerve when you asked that question. We need to come out here and talk to the white folks as well as the black folks.
0: No, people need to hear that nerve. And you're talking about like that white vote versus the, the the black and brown vote. I'm looking at this um, poll that's like tracking uh, voting across the nation, and even here in North Carolina, we have 986,000 non-Hispanic white people that are registered to vote. Versus non-Hispanic Black people sitting at three hundred and fifty-one thousand. So, yeah, we are the ones that are der- deserving of change, but we are not able to do that alone. Like you said, it's going to be the the college-educated white women that are you're seeing now defecting from Trump and starting to vote vote more progressive or more blue, as people like to say. But also, like you said, reaching out to white men and talking about, hey, if you you know support these these people in your community, if you came out into the streets and marched over the summer for Black Lives, then you have to show up with your voice and with your vote and make sure you put your money where your mouth is.
2: And somebody needs to talk to poor white people and let them know that the Republican Party is not your friend. I am so sorry. Lyndon B. Johnson said during his tenure as presidency, if you make the lowest white man think he's better than the better than the best Black man, he will fill your pockets forever. And it is so sad that that is still true in 2020. But somebody needs to let poor white people know the Republican Party is not your friend because that the welfare that you're on, the government assistance that you're getting, this, that, and the third, all these things that the right calls freebies that help you live because you have been on a hard time are on behalf of the Democratic Party. You need to look at the new deal by FDR. You need to look at Lyndon B. Johnson and his expansion of welfare programs, like all the things that you say, oh, we need to get rid of or how you're surviving. And if you want to keep those things, you need to look at who you're voting for. Because right now, Trump is in the court trying to take seven hundred out seven hundred thousand yeah, I said that right, seven hundred thousand people's food stamps away or minimize them. And a lot of those people are white. But you know, you're gonna vote for Trump because your racism and your white privilege supersede your need to live. But, you know, that's just me. That's just my logic.
0: No, that's real. Like, I I work with another organization here called Down Home, and we call into rural areas. And a lot of these people are complaining about not having uh, access to Internet, which, you know, here in a city like Greensboro, we kind of take for granted. Um, And out there, that's just kind of it's been a big issue right now with like um, schooling from home and working from home and there are no Republicans out there fighting for a municipal internet. There are no Republicans trying to expand broadband across Western North Carolina. Like you really have to stop and look at your own self-interest and see, does it really align with that generation, generational lie that you're talking about from uh, what was the, the elected officials name?
2: Oh, Lyndon Johnson.
0: Yeah. Lyndon Johnson, because you see that with a lot of people that, probably are doing worse than me but because of their color color of their skin they feel like they're superior to me and i'm just like no dog like i'm out here fighting for your rights like you don't understand that this fight affects you just as deeply as it affects me or someone i love
2: absolutely like people need to stop voting because granddaddy would be mad if i voted for a democrat you need to start voting for your own interests because there's a chance your granddaddy was doing a lot better than you are
0: it's not a chance. It's a fact at this point. We yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lord, we, didn't, we went down that rabbit hole. Let me get back. <laughs> How can folks listening get involved with helping in some of these races that we discussed and your work over at Carolina Federation?
2: Oh, they can get involved. They can show up to events. They can hop on the phone banks with us. It's three hours out of every day. I mean, you spend three hours a day on Instagram, probably. You can be on the dialer and on Instagram at the same time. You can knock doors with us on Saturday and Sunday. We do social distance canvassing. And honestly, after the election, you can go to NAACP meetings. There are liberal white people who are part of the NAACP just as much as black people. People act like the NAACP wasn't a coalition of white and black people working towards one goal. as half the founders of the NAACP were white. So white people can show up in minority spaces. White people can check their family members. That's helping the work a lot. You need to check your racist friends. You need to check your racist family. You need to check their prejudices at the table because that translates to the work. That's helping us without making us make a call. That's changing someone's mind, changing the way they think, changing the way they see the world without us ever having to come into contact with them. By being an advocate for... Yourself being an advocate for women, being an advocate for people of color, being an advocate for black people, being an advocate for science is saving us a phone call by you talking to your relative. So get out there and be the change you want to see in the world. And that helps us a lot because talking to people and knocking on their door is great. But if you're talking to a stranger, but you're not talking to your family, you're defeating your purpose.
0: Yeah, that's real. And when we're saying advocate, advocate for these causes, I wanna like clarify to folks. Don't we don't want you to go like to Thanksgiving and shouting at your racist grandpa about the Facebook facts you saw against his Facebook fake news. It's about actually like educating yourself enough to where you can connect the issues that you're advocating to to that racist uncle's life and making it more of a tangible thing that can really make them you know, sway their views on an issue because I've, me personally, I just see how much we're just at each other's neck because we we all want change in some form of the other, and we're just so desperate for it in the moment that we're living in. But I think sometimes the way we go about it, we just start like anxiousness, and uh, honestly, this internet age of like everything has to be instantaneous. And everything has to be immediate. Like, we kind of forget, like, sometimes you have to have a conversation before you can get to where you need to go or even start that process.
2: Okay, yeah, don't run up on your uncle. Like,
0: okay, so I'm, I'm going to be clear
2: on what I mean. Don't run up on him, but when he says that comment about the black boys down the street or the Jews invading his neighborhood, you need to check that. I'm not saying run up on him, but I'm saying check it at
0: the table. And that literally can't just be, what do you mean by that? Or where did you hear that?
2: Yeah, like, and honestly, a lot of these biases have been ingrained for decades. So you can come with facts and you can be all the way right. And they're still not going to get it because I know we don't want to say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but some people just set in their ways and it's just not going to happen. But make sure you let them know that they can't do that with you around. Because if you're going to be a real friend and a real fighter in the fight, you just send me when I'm there and you just send me when I'm not.
0: Real shit. I love it. Okay. I do want to wrap it up with just something a little fun. I know we've had a stressful weekend with our first little bout of get out the vote. And we have another stressful 16, 15 days left uh, before we get these all these ballots cast in. So I am curious. When it's all said and done and the dust is settled and everyone is still infighting on CNN or some shit, what is the first thing you're going to do for yourself after the election is done?
2: So my dear friend is renewing her vows. I will be there to cheer her on. And then I'm going to the beach. I'm going to socially distance, not go near anybody, stay in the room. But I'm going to sit on the balcony and get the water drink lots of wine, enjoy myself. Um, I'm hosting a conference called Black Women Deserve, a conversation about what we deserve from our political representatives and political legislation. So that's going to happen probably November 15th. And then I'm not turning back on my phone till J5. I'm so serious. Like, dang, I say J5. One of my friends told me that January 5th is when I will be turning my phone back on. That's when I'll start answering calls, talking to people, being a part of 2021. Because after we win, when we win, because we will win, I'm going to need a nap.
0: <laughs> man, I'm going to sleep so hard. Yeah, like the Z's, I'm going to be catching them. Yeah, a beach trip with some wine and some good conversation sounds amazing. And this was a great conversation, Celeste. Thank you so much for Thank joining so me. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. You're going to have to come back. Uh, this is just too fun. I love all the insight that you have.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, Terrell. I love talking to you because we have great thoughts, but we have different ways of doing them. So it's just nice to hear like similar opinion, but that challenges the way that we do things. Because everybody has a different way of making their way in the world and their advocacy and so it's just nice to bounce ideas with
0: you i love it well thank you for your time um you have a good one me too you know after having that conversation with celeste i'm excited to see how these local races turn out how did you feel about that interview
1: i thought it was great um and i appreciated all the points you guys brought up. I was particularly struck by the idea that the democratic party needs to do more outreach to white voters as that hasn't been my lived experience. I know so many white people who vote in primaries based on who or what they think other white people will vote for on election day that I was sort of struck by that thought. And I want to explore it more. Um, and just think about how we can do better. Um, the other thing I took away was the idea of joining the NAACP to continue to learn and to just be a better ally.
0: Yeah, that was a very surprising uh, a point that, that she made to me as well. But I, I like the, the highlighting organizations or uh, political organizations that folks can get involved with. Right now, we only have a week to go. From today, and we still got some work to do. So don't forget to go over to mobilize.us Carolina Federation to sign up for events to help make sure we can get people to come out and vote and come out and vote for folks that are excited to make change all across our county and our state here in North Carolina. Plus, it's a great way to meet folks and get connected with community leaders that are ready to make change after this election. Now, this will be our last episode before the election. We're planning to do one more episode post-election to talk about ways we can keep the fight alive after the ballots have been counted. And after that, we'll be taking a much-needed break until 2021.
1: But we will be back, and we want to hear from you. Email us with issues or topics you want to continue to dive into, or any questions or comments from our previous episodes. Our email is... GSO in the know at gmail.com and don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us. We really enjoy keeping GSO in the know.